Hey everybody, good morning or good afternoon or good evening, depending on where you are and when you're listening to it. This is Tell the Damn Story. Actually, it's Tell the Damn Story solo. It's Alex Simmons here today. Uh, Chris and I experienced some tech problems and it really interrupted the flow of the um, discussion uh, topic. And so while we're trying to figure those things out, and not wanting to miss a single posting because, you know, the promise was that we would uh, be consistent and continue to flow and share whatever information we could. Um, I'm going to pop in here and uh, share um, a particular topic that we've touched on from time to time. And I think we've, we've explored it quite a bit. But here we go again on uh, a different side of it. You know, and that is basically what do you base your stories on and how do you approach them? Uh, the material that's used. And in my case, I'm going to focus a little bit more on some of the things that I've experienced. Um, I've often said to to my students, both uh, face-to-face, you know, groups and classes and coachings, as well as uh, on various podcasts and interviews that I've done, that we have our imagination to call on. We have life, you know, what goes on around us, that happens around us or to us. Uh, we have other people's experiences, we have books that we've read, things that we've seen. Uh, all of these various resources and, and, and elements filter into our minds and take a position somewhere. And sometimes it's, it's a, a fantastic, bright, shiny uh, idea or concept that just takes over and just basically tells us a story that it wants to, to, to talk about or, or somehow filter through us to, to a general public. And other times, it's just a kernel of an idea. It's just a, a tiny little uh, seed that hasn't been watered and, and taken care of yet so it sprouts into anything. But it's there, and you know it's there, and you don't know quite what to do with it yet, so you save it. You know, you save it until that right moment. Um, I know a number of people that, writers that I respect in particular, um, some filmmakers, and all, they will sort of go at life, the creative life, from the conflict, the conflict uh, arena. They will go at creative life from the conflict point of view, uh, either dealing with a personal conflict that they want to work out. It's like exorcising a demon. Um, or a conflict that they see on a social level, something that's uh, you know irritating or or damaging or really Im- impairing the quality of life for society. Uh, that could be like you know race, obviously, environmental issues. You know, there's one side that says we've got global warming and a bunch of other things happening, and then there are folks who are saying, oh no, that's 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 a fantasy. That's this, that's that. That's a, somebody's move to to raise their 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 visibility in the political arena or in the media. Blah, 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 blah. Uh, there's immigration. You can't deny that that's an issue uh, that affects thousands upon millions of people. Uh, as a matter of fact, um, to talk about where we get our stories from, I've, uh, you know, as, as an African-American, as a black man in America, uh, immigration stories uh, have, have been in my, right in front of me, right in my view, uh, for most of my life. Uh, my family was, to, to the best of my knowledge, let me put it that way, uh, going back something like six generations, uh, we're basically born and raised here in the United States. And so we don't have a coming to America story beyond Africans being you know, captured and 
forced as slaves to come to the United States. But beyond that, there are people I know who have, you know, they're closer. They've come from the Dominican Republic. They've come from Haiti. They've come from Kingston. They've come from uh, Africa, from Nigeria, and so forth. Within two generations, you know, and literally, it's right there. It's fresh. It's alive. All of the elements and information is there for them to to tap into or to wrestle with. But I was uh, with one of my my, um, classes in cinema study uh, just a few days ago, and we were looking at uh, Nosferatu because we were studying, you know, German uh, film uh, production in particular uh, back in the early 1920s. And what I like to do when I talk to my students about early films is, okay, I believe that artists are inspired or influenced by what's going on around them. You know, as we're growing up, absolutely, from childhood up, but also as adults, as young adults or as full-grown adults, we're artists what's going on around us on a societal level, a cultural level, religious level, whatever it is, influences our work. So I like to have them look at the era that the particular film we're studying, you know, when that was made, when that was created. And so Nosferatu is the 1920s. And when you look at what was going on in the United States and neighboring uh, countries at that time, (laughs) the list included immigration and certain other... (laughs) certain other uh, political, social uh, issues, uh, some uh, atrocious and some uh, just uh, frustrating, but, you know, it ran that gamut, that were quite similar to things we're going through right now. So we're talking 1920s versus 2019. You know, some things haven't changed at all. And so in looking at that long view, present-day artists can say, okay, maybe I want to do something about that. Maybe I want to, either as a a film, an entertainment type of film or a film that will educate, uh, I want to do something about the fact some things have changed but a lot has not. Or they might want to do a documentary. But either way, they're going to look at that as an issue or as a topic that they want to explore. Then how they feel about it personally will influence the, what they produce. You know, if it's uh, uh, an African-American dealing with uh, immigration laws back then versus now, how he or she feels about immigration, how she or he feels about being African-American or black or West Indian or whatever, you know, how they feel about it, their personal experiences will filter through the process. And it will be up to them to determine how much of my feelings and my personal attitude about this will influence the film or the project. So, you know, sometimes our stories or the stories that we tell are very, very much um, inspired or fired by our personal commitment or passion about the topic. At the same time, you can look at something like bullying or you can look at something like first love or you can look at something like uh, the relationships between parents and children and tell a million stories about that. And again, you might say, okay, we'll have a story where we have a young woman who's maybe in her 20s who's dealing with some sort of life challenge at that time that was directly connected to some experience she had when she was 10 years old and how her parents interacted with her or how her parents interacted with each other. You know, you can add siblings in there or not, but basically you're in your twenties, you're dealing with something that's a real problem, 
a real challenge for you. It's really affecting your life. And it's not about what's happening right then and there as much as it's about what happened to you 10 years ago or 15 years ago and how that affected you. So sometimes we, again, we use storytelling to exercise our own demons or to share our experiences with others. Um, speaking of that, you know, um, you can use that as a, you know, you can take somebody else's experience. They've told you about it or you've watched them go through it and you can use that as the, uh, the foundation for the challenge that your lead character is facing, or it can be the challenge that your supporting characters are facing. Um, I look at Stephen King's Stand By Me, um, uh, in, in, where you have uh, these, these four boys, these four friends, young friends, who go on this adventure together to basically take this long walk through the, the, the woods around the town that they live in to find the body uh, of a dead man. I mean, not that this person was connected to them in a personal way, but that the adventure is to find a dead body and to be able to say, I found it. You know, it's like a rite of passage sort of thing for them. Well, these are not four boys who are identical in their makeup, you know, in their, in their character, in their personalities. They each have a personal challenge or issue that they're dealing with, a hardship that they're dealing with, you know, whether it's, it's a, a body type or an attitude type or uh, economic or whatever. They're dealing with things, and their bond as friends is part of how they're able to talk about it as they go on this, this quest. But also, it's a lot about them discovering more about themselves as they go on this quest and the both physical as well as emotional challenges that come up. So again, as the writer... You aren't creating just four boys who are hanging out and, oh, they come from the same town and they're around the same age and they go to the same school, but they live in different houses. You're creating four individual people. And out of those four, two may take the lead in your story, but the other two are just as important because they form the mechanism through which you tell a complete and full, rich story. And your point of view with this, your life experiences, your personal uh, commitment to the story, they influence how you write this, how you film this. Because somewhere in your mind, male or female, you will have had similar emotional moments to at least one of these characters. It will help you make them feel more genuine, make them come across in their interactions as more real, as opposed to four stereotypes. So pulling from social issues, how we feel about them, influence our work. Pulling from other people's experiences, same thing. Uh, I'll give you another example of that watching, and I've talked about this before, watching uh, Clint Eastwood. Now, you know, again, I've seen Clint Eastwood from... Uh, the, the, the early TV series that he did, Rawhide, I've seen uh, his westerns, his spaghetti westerns as they called them. I've seen the character he played in the Dirty Harry uh, movie series. And then beyond, as he started to do um, more individual characters, you know, whether they were present day or, or you know, westerns, I've watched his, his storytelling grow. And in many of his films, he's playing kind of a similar stoic human being, right? Then I saw Gran Torino, 
which is a film, you know, again, that he also directed. And he's up in age. You know, he's not young Clint anymore. He's not Dirty Harry age anymore. He's, he's an elder gentleman. And he's a stoic elder gentleman. But he's a tortured elder gentleman. He's not in charge anymore. He's not the force that's moving through the town, moving through the film, affecting everything in a dynamic way where he's, people are cowering or worrying about. This is a man who, yeah, he's angry about some things. But he's also fractured. He's also damaged. And how we see that character unfold, bouncing off of other key supporting characters, is an interesting story. But the thing that got me the most, the thing that I mentioned the most about that movie, is there's one scene, one shot really, you know, a moment where his character, this older gentleman, is sitting on the front porch of his house, and he's looking at this neighborhood that's changed since he first bought the house and raised his kids, and he's not, he's not, you know, he's, he's, he's not happy. He's, you know, again, that's not his state of mind throughout most of the story. But he's sitting there and he's just really intense. That's the word. And he's got a TV tray next to him and there's a beer on there. And just sitting in the theater watching that moment, that moment came up on the screen. And I immediately saw a relative of mine who sat something like that in front of his house watching the world go by and having his own inner feelings and reactions to that. It was an image that I instantly locked into. And that's a part of storytelling, is giving your audience, giving the viewers, the readers, whatever, those moments where they go, I know this guy. I get it now. Wow, he's just like... Or even if you don't consciously recognize that moment, something about that immediately pulls you into the story further. You're more engaged you, you believe the moment more. And so that's a good rule to sort of work by. Don't settle for your characters being one-dimensional or even two-dimensional. As you explore them and their personal moments within the story, see how they connect to moments that you know, either that you've experienced or others have experienced, that you can pull those moments or even place one or two of them in the story. Go back in your rewrites and place subtle moments in there that make that character connect to our world a little bit more. So as the audience is moving along on this journey, following this story, they get pulled in even more. They get more engaged. They feel more connected. All right. Um, I'll just throw in one or two other things, you know, miscellaneous inspirations. I have a lot of, uh, stuff sitting on my desk <laughs> you know uh if if i were to be totally transparent i would take a picture of it and post it but i'm not going to do that <laughs> i'm not okay uh but trust me there's a lot of stuff here but i will give you somewhat of an idea um i have a postcard that was taken at an event i did at with uh, ronald mcdonald house because i i am my kids comic con group and some of the artists that i've i've been blessed to spend time with We'll go over and we'll do projects with them from time to time. And so I've got a picture of Chris Giarusso, Leslie Carrero Rudolph, and um, one of the younger artists, uh, Soraya. Um, and this, the four of us are in this picture uh, with a funny sort of uh, uh, green screen backdrop. Now, this picture was taken about two, three years ago. And it's a postcard. It, it, it's something that the people who took the picture gave to us. They printed out right there and then. 
And there's really no full-blown reason for me to have this tacked up on the board at my desk. But something about this picture I like. Something about this picture sparks little thoughts in my mind when I'm writing or affects my mood when I look up at it. Uh, and so I keep it up. Uh, I have a picture of my, my daughter and I at, at um, uh, was it, uh, Great Adventures, which is an amusement park here in New York. And uh, this is not her as a little girl. This is her just about a year or so ago. And she's in her 20s now. And it's, it's a, a picture was taken with the cell phone, and I printed it out, and so the color's fading a bit and all that. But I got to tell you, it, it makes me smile every time I look at it. I think that it absolutely represents my relationship with her on all the best moments or in all the best moments. And sometimes when I'm writing, and I just finished a project that I dedicated to her, when I looked up at that picture, it, it moved me in a, in a certain way at that time, enabling me to either connect to the character more or to the moment, you know, becoming more committed to the project or whatever. Um, so that's up there. Uh, I have, um, <laughs> I don't even remember where I got this, but I have a, a Snoopy figure up there. And he's a, I think it came from maybe one of those fast food places. I have no idea. He's got a little magnifying glass in his hand with a red lens. And he's got on a sort of a, a, a private detective kind of fedora and uh, trench coat. It's a plastic thing. It's, it's, it's financially worth zip. I have a small figure of Indiana Jones on a horse. I have a statue of a wolf with some intricate Native American uh, band around its neck. So it's howling to the moon. I have an old uh, Lone Ranger uh, wind, a clock that you wind up, and it you know, has the little bells on the top. And there's a few other things I have here, some mail, uh, a blackjack cup, my, my uh, ink pot award. And all of these things are here because when I look up at them or I glance at them, they elicit a feeling or it says, this is your workspace. This is where the ideas and the stories and everything flow. Uh, or this gives me an idea for something, or this gave me an idea for something. And every now and then I look at it and I get that urge again. I get that little, I, I have that moment, or it gives me another idea. So sometimes you don't know. You, you keep things for reasons that you can't fathom, and people tell you, oh, you know, why don't you throw out that junk? Well, you're cluttering up this, you're cluttering up that. And in some cases you may be. You know, absolutely, every now and then you got to take a look, you know, take stock and say, what, what am I doing with this? Do I really need this? Do I really want this now? And you might not. But other times, it means something to you that it will never mean to anybody else. And as an artist, you, you use it. Keeping it around you, somehow you use it. Uh, I'll give you another reference. I have a friend, uh, I met her, oh God, must be 40 years ago, uh, when I was a performer. I did more acting and performing than, uh, than I do at all now. And she was a dancer. And we were in a show together, and she's just the sweetest human being. And she was talking then about wanting to pursue, you know, her career as a dancer, you know, traveling and all that. So we lost touch for years. And then about a year or two ago, found each other on Facebook, and we have met for coffee a couple of times. So I was hanging out with her the other day for a couple of hours, and we got to talking about our lives. And son of a gun, if she, she's now a photographer. She, she does a, a lot of, I've seen some of her work. It's really great. And she's, she had her dancing career, but she's now segued into another artistic plane, right? So some of what she's done as a performer has moved along with her into her photography, 
the types of things that she's interested in photographing or that she's done or some of the jobs that she's received. But the thing that she said that was really most fascinating to me is that she's doing something, and I'm not going to remember the title that she, she used properly, but it's like she does memory shots or memory photography and where she goes back in her memory to points in her life then she was talking mostly about her childhood, points in her life where something that she saw represented something else. For instance, certain items, personal items of her mother or her father, how they positioned on the dresser or on the kitchen table. When she thinks of that, it takes her right back to that moment or it, it brings forth a feeling of that particular person, that family, that moment, that says mom or that says dad in that time in my life, instantly when I see those things. Well, you know, they don't live in the same place anymore. Those, the house is gone and so forth. But she can go hunting and find items that are similar, that look like from that era, and place them, set, you know, do a setup and photograph them attempting to artistically recreate that feel, that, that particular feeling, that moment. Now, it's not that she's trying to, to, to pull back to that point in her life and say, yeah, this is it, this is exactly it, now this is mom and dad, as much as she's saying this is the feeling that these items placed just as they are uh, this is how it affected me as a kid. See, I'm recreating how it affected me so that others can look at that. And sure enough, there will be people who will look at these photographs and go, oh, man, my dad used to have or my mother used to or my uncle or whatever. You know, you're recreating a feeling and emotion and a moment in time that other people can connect to. And that's, again, a lot of what we do with our storytelling, especially in film. You know, yes, you can do it with words and books, and, and you can do it in theater, but also in film, you can cinematographically, cinematographically create those moments. And so, again, you need to reach back and think, what, what, what were those items? What did it look like? What was the doily like that was on that, that dresser or that table? Uh, you know, what were the colors? Was it a warm... Uh, almost sepia kind of feel to it? Was the sun bright and shiny? Was it uh, gray, gloomy? You know, all of these things help pull together that imagery that your audience is going to be pulled into. So when you base your stories, when you're, you're thinking about your stories, whether they're you know, nostalgic, retro, present day, futuristic, scientific, even you know, uh, gothic horror or supernatural suspense or whatever, when you're doing these stories, you want to recreate or create those moments as genuinely as you can, as realistically as you can, creating the atmosphere that will pull your audience in. And how you do that, for me, I should say how I do it in particular, is I, I have an idea for a story, and maybe I start with a plot, but eventually I always wind up with building uh, the character, understanding the character, trying to get into his or her head and understand how they feel. And if this is how they feel, why do they feel that way? What prompted that? Where does that come from? You know, was that an immediate moment or was that something from their past? 
And the more I get to know the character, the more that character tells me, in a way, how it will react, what its motivations are, what its fears are, and so forth, who it's personally connected to. And then those moments help me recreate the moments that these characters interacted, or the moment that this, this either wonderful thing or this terrible thing happened to them, where it happened, how it happened, and what was that experience like for them? What did it look like? And each one of those steps builds that world, creates that universe that the audience then is pulled into. And the better you do that, the, the more engaging and, and impactful is your story. So, as I said, you know, today was a matter of, you know, having set up um, a project that we wanted to talk about, a topic, rather, that Chris and I wanted to talk about, and then the tech problems decided, no, that's not the way it's going to go today. So I am presenting this particular shorter uh, episode to you, uh, so that we, you know, just so that I don't miss a day, miss a Sunday, or miss a date per week when we drop by and say, here we are. And I'm hoping that uh, what I've talked about is of some use to you. Um, please let me know if it is or isn't. You know, we have the comments section. It still exists right below there. And um, also, if you would love to, or I would love it if you would do it, if you would like to, uh, tell me about some moment that you've recreated or some, some uh, uh, scene that you've constructed that you thought was the most successful or that you struggled with even, because we certainly do that. Um, I know I struggle more so with recreating moments from the past, uh, not my past, but, you know, I, like, for instance, my series Blackjack, um, it takes place in the 1930s. So recreating those moments, I wasn't here in the 1930s. Yes, I know, uh, Chris and I have chuckled many times about my age, but no, I'm not that old. So it's a matter of I wasn't alive then. Uh, I have, well, I actually had family members who were alive then, uh, but they were children at that time. And so I didn't pick their brains when I was very young about that. I can only remember the stories that they used to tell me. And then they have since gone on, as the phrase goes, so I can't call on them for those moments. So I have to find that in documentaries or in writings of other people or in watching films or in reading books. I have to find moments that help me construct that era sufficiently to tell the particular story I'm trying to tell. Uh, but that's research, and that's a part of the game, too. That's a part of the process. And the more that you do that when necessary, the better. I'll also add this, um, because this came up in one of my classes recently, uh, so I'll, I'll, I'll put it this way. Yes, um, I advocate, and Chris does too, we advocate doing the character research, getting your character down, really knowing your character as best you can, and you can ask a bunch of questions that help you build up that information pool. But some people will say, yeah, but do I have to put all of that into the story? And the answer is no, you don't. And then they say, well, then why do I do it? And because the answer is the better you know your character, the better you know how your character will react in the story you're going to tell. Just like the better you know a person, the better idea you get of how that person is going to react in a given situation. But what happens is you don't have to put all that information into your story, but your character at the beginning of the story is coming from somewhere. The world, theoretically, exists before your story starts. So when your character makes an entry, an entrance, 
You know, it's like a ca- an actor coming on stage. You know, they're coming from the wings. You know that. You know that beyond those curtains, there's nothing but ropes and pulleys and props and things like that. But when they enter, they're coming from some part of that fictional world into the, the scene that you're watching. So it's the same thing with writing stories. Your character's making an entrance in your book, your play, your film. They're coming from somewhere. That world does exist beyond what we see. And so they're coming in. What, what happened to them prior to, as far back as you want to go, is important. It will influence what they do as we watch them. And when the film is over, when the play is over, the scene is over, and they exit, unless they died in the scene, they're going somewhere. Their life continues. So we are looking at a snapshot or we're looking at, we're we're sharing a few moments or an hour and a half or whatever it is. It's a slice of a person's life, of a character's life. And it exists before and that life theoretically exists after. So the more full-blown they are, the more your audience feels that. Okay, as I said, problems that you've had working with your characters or getting a scene or getting a plot to, to uh, function in a more genuine and engaging fashion, please share those with me. Uh, you can share it on uh, the comment section below here, depending on how you're hearing this podcast. Uh, if, we're on, if you're on my uh, Simmons Here and Now uh, WordPress um, site, blog, then you, you know there's a comment section right below there. If you're on a Facebook Tell the Damn Story page, there's a comment section there. So drop us a line, share your tale, okay? And that's basically another episode of Tell the Damn Story. Thanks for stopping by and see you next week. Well, hear you next week. No, you'll hear me. Anyway, take care, everybody. Bye.